Welcome to Functional Design Enclosure. I am Nate Jones. And I'm Christoph Newman. We're here to help you use closure and functional programming to make your everyday life as a developer less frustrating and more fulfilling. That's right. We are here to dive deep into closure and see <laughs> where it takes us. Because uh, it's been a pleasure for, for us to use it, that's for sure. And so we want to uh, help you enjoy Closure 2. So much fun, we can't help but share. Can't help but share. So uh, yeah, <laughs> feel free to share this podcast out on the interwebs with your, uh, your closure buddies also, or people who are interested. And speaking of Closure... So we are back again this week looking at, at composition. We're diving into composition because composition is a big deal in functional programming. And we talked about a bit last week why it's such a big deal. Why, why can't functional programmers stop talking about composition? It just seems like they talk and talk and talk and talk <laughs> and talk and talk. They just compose so many things about composition Um. And so listen to last week's episode if you uh, want to hear all that. But this week, we're talking kind of on a little bit of contrast with composition and in an OO way, right? Kind of elaborating. Let's get a little more specific. And so mm -hmm. the biggest, most important difference between object-oriented programming and functional programming is the relationship between data and behavior, Mm. Functional programming keeps those separate, keeps them it, each their own first-class things, whereas object-oriented programming likes to mix them together into these things called classes, where you then mix your behavior and your data up. You complect them to borrow the archaic term that Rich Hickey has revitalized. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's really kind of funny how, because uh, I grew up as an object-oriented programmer, so to speak, you know, in college and several years in the industry. And so I was used to always having my, you know, behavior and data, you know, walk around together, so to speak, hand in hand. I never knew there was a way that you could have them be separate. Um, I mean, quite frankly, there's even the separation of, you know, uh, methods and functions, you know, like letting functions walk around on their own, you know. Um, right. But having them tied together um, is, is a fundamental difference between functional and object-oriented programming. Yeah. And there's a highly entertaining essay, if you've never read it, called The Kingdom of the Nouns. And it goes into great detail about how classes, the nouns, have to uh, escort the verbs everywhere they want to go, right? The, the methods, so-called functions. So mm -hmm. you, you can read that for a perspective. But why does this matter? The reason why it matters is when you mix them together, when you want to compose things, you you have to not you have to make decisions about more than just composing the data or composing the behavior. You they they, mm. they come along, right? And so so what I want to do is I want to make this really practical. Let's go back to our classic illustration. Way back in episode two of this podcast, we started a series <laughs> on a, a simple. Yes, it's been a little bit, been been a few years, and uh, or it could have been a few days if you're really on a bench on this podcast. But it's been a bit, few years for us, and <laughs> uh, 
And so it's the game of tic-tac-toe. Of course, that's the American name for it, or knots and crosses or X's and O's or however you know this game. We're going to call it tic-tac-toe. And you have a game board of three by three spaces and you put X and O's in that and you try to get three in a row. Now, if you want to hear all the gory details, go back, listen to the series. We deconstruct the game. We go through a way of programming it. But we're bringing, I'm bringing this back up because I want to look at this from an object-oriented perspective and then a functional perspective. So you have to represent the state of the game somehow. The board, the pieces, whose mm-hmm. turn it is, you know, how many pieces are left or not. Mostly you just run out of space. Either somebody wins or you run out of space on the board. So you, maybe you don't have to represent the piece count. Um, well, how do you do that? Right? So, so do you make a class for each piece? You make a class for the board, right? <laughs> well, so when I want to play, when I want to play a piece, does the board know how to play pieces onto itself? Or do I have a game class that knows how to, how to take board classes, <laughs> objects, and piece <laughs> classes, objects, you know? Or does the piece know how to place itself on the board? Right. Like the piece has a method, like, you know, put me... Um, I, I don't know where do you put it, right? Or, or do you when you when you call the board method and you hand it a piece, does it call a method on the piece to give it itself a reference to it and what position it's in? It, it it's funny. It's the it's not so much the like when you're talking about the board as as something that is at one point in time. It's pretty easy to understand, you know, or it can be easy, you know. There's a board and has reference to pieces or whatever the other way around. But it's as soon as you want to try to act on it. It's like, where does that functionality go? You, you can't just have the functionality sit on its own. It has to be attached to one or the other. And so which one is the dominant object, so to speak? You know, Right. It's the, it's the same joke that, uh, that um, good old Joel Armstrong of the Erlang fame, he's like, all I wanted was a banana. But when I grabbed the banana, I suddenly had a gorilla and the whole rest of the world attached to it. You know, it's like <laughs> you, 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 th- those references, they, 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 they pull in way too much uh, context, so to speak, um, when all you wanted was the banana. All I wanted to do is play a piece. All I wanted to do is change the representation. Right. So back when I was a big fan of Scala, I said, oh, well, this is simple, right? Use case <laughs> classes. So you create pure, pure classes, aka, you know, records, immutable records, or whatever you want to call them. Scala calls them case classes. And um, you represent everything in that. And then you make another class that has all the various operations so you can make a game class, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I arrived at a point where I'm like, what am I, what am I doing, right? It's, it's like, <laughs> if right. I'm going to separate out all the data and all the behavior, like, boy, I mean, Scala's making me jump through a bunch of hoops linguistically for this. You know, well, well, still in Scala, do, where do you put those the 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 the, the methods? You just have to put them on an, an object, or can they can they wander around by themselves? Oh well, they need a yeah. They essentially still need a noun chaperone. You can get a yes. little closer by having public static methods in a class, okay. which is in a namespace. And so I did this thing where I basically had a namespace, and I made all these classes that were essentially sub-namespaces that all had a bunch of public static methods in them, aka functions. Functions. With, <laughs> yeah. You know, chaperone nouns. And, um, 
and then you could do operations. So I could, you know, represent this game board and the pieces and have a pure function that would return a new state of the board and the pieces, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, well, boy, my language isn't helping me in this regard. Okay. So let, for the purposes (laughs) of illustration, bear, bear with me, bear with me. Tell me if you think I'm crazy. But if we go, let's go back to a really like stupidly simple domain, the domain of batch processing, right? Very simple. So Nate, I I know you actually have deep experience (laughs) in this domain of batch processing, which we don't talk about a lot, but you know, maybe, maybe the world should know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> See, I, you're speechless, right? I'm, okay, I'm not. I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know whether to be proud of it or or ashamed of it. Uh, but uh, you know, yeah, but it's it it's very mundane, right? But you load in a bunch of data, you do some work on it, and you spit out a bunch of data. It's it's pretty simple. And the beauty of this is, you open these data files, and hey, there's data in them. You look at the data. You could write all kinds of different scripts. Mm-hmm. To, that operate on the same data file. Those scripts don't need to know about each other at all. This is this is how this came into being, right? You you have the data set, something loads it, operates it. It's like a database. So imagine, if you will, that you're going to represent this board in a database, this game state in a database, and then you're going to have functions that load data, transform it, and then write it back down again, you know? It's very boring, but it's also very, very simple. What one of the things I like to say about data is that it is inert. It's not. It's not going to hurt you. Like if you have an object and you call it like like a, you know person, like you have an instance of a, of a person object and it's called you know Nate, and you say Nate dot name, you think I'm just going to get the name attribute from from the Nate object, right? You know, seems like a pretty easy thing to do. But someone behind the scenes has decided, oh, we need to trace how many times people ask for names and write that into a database. So suddenly, I'm just asking for something out of what I think is a data object. And suddenly, IO is happening. You know, suddenly I have to have that, you know, mocked if I want to test it. You know, it's all kinds of things. But if I have a data, like a file with my name in it, or like you said, a database, if I, if I, there's nothing, there's nothing that looking up that, that data or, or examining that data is going to do to hurt me. It's, it's, it's inert. Right. With the dot method, you don't know, am I getting a field or am I getting some magical overloaded getter thingy <laughs> that does a bunch of side effects that uh, set off, you know, uh, some kind of bomb somewhere. I don't know. Right. You know, blows up my data in some way. Yeah. And so data is simple and data will almost certainly outlast your application. And in fact, often mm. the data that your application deals with came from somewhere else in the first place, right? So, mm-hmm. so the hubris of thinking that somehow you can mix your behavior and your data together, it's, it's like your behavior is hitchhiking, you know, on somebody else's property because yeah. it thinks like, oh, you know, I'm just as good as it is. But trust me, the data is way more important than any of your code. It will it will far outlast it for the most part. Oh man, this reminds me of the the fun abomination known as object or, or object relational mapping, where you where you take the data that was there before your your program and you pour it somehow into your objects, and then you do something with it, and then you want to pour it back out back into the database. <laughs> right, right. Why is and this such so, a hard problem? Because it's a hard thing to do. It's like something that doesn't make sense. 
Yes. And so, you know, we end up with no SQL to try to avoid some of this and things like that. But the idea being that Mm -hmm. we want to represent this information domain in, in, in its own way. And then we want to do operations on this information domain. And so you can go back to, like I said, our original series to really get in the nitty gritty. But at a high level, we want, at the very least, some kind of function that knows how to, for example, place a piece and enforce possibly even enforce the rules for it, right? right, And return some kind of outcome. So we go through all this in the series. I won't belabor it, but place a piece or detect a winning condition or or things where we've separated that out, right? So Mm -hmm. it becomes very clear in closure. You make a namespace that has these different operations. You write functions, and then you end up with some of these classic kinds of functions that we talked about in our last episode. You end up with predicates, is there a winner or mm-hmm. has X one or those kind of things? You end up with reducers. You have some current state of the game and then you have a move, a, a description of a move and you have a, a new state of the game, right? Possibly even with some kind of outcome um, like somebody won in the last, in this new state of the game, right? You end up with various kinds of transforms. You know, you want to, generate an empty board from nothing or you want to take a board and you want to um i don't know remove all the x's you I, the point is <laughs> you it's want to data. clear it back off so you can use it again yes yeah it's data yeah. right you you write functions to do this and 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 to say that you know you know in object oriented programming you know all the data for like the board is in the board object and so there's like some idea of identity it's like a something that's not just primitive values it's actually like a collection of things that mean something in your program it models some uh some uh element that is out there you know and and so we still have those things in closure we have and so we have like the board the state you just talked we were talking about that's like the board or the all, all the all the things in the game that you need to know uh to be able to move to make a move or to determine the winner and so you know, you have you have that kind of data, which is like, so to speak, data about a particular entity. And sometimes we even call those objects, but it's more just like the data about it. But then you have data that is about like the operation, like where I want to play or what 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 player is going to play. You know, those those kind of things are also data too, but they're like they're more parameters that influence the operations on the data than it is the right. data itself. So it's kind of there's there's not not all data is also created equal. You know. Is my, right. Kind of so you have these ancillary data domains that are related. How mm-hmm. do you represent a move? Well, once you have a representation for a move, well, boy, oh boy, you could have a sequence of moves. And shocker, you now have a representation for a game play, right? As, because it's from start sequence, to finish. Yeah. From start to finish. Or you could have a potential sequence of moves. And now you could make predicates or other functions that could determine, is this a valid sequence of moves, right? And, and all of a sudden now with this sequence of moves, it can, it can make little, it could make a little toy game off to the side where it starts running those moves through the game. And it looks for the, the game logic that is Uh represented in the play function, right? To kick out, uh, a response that says, nope, that's invalid. And now all of a sudden it knows, hey, this isn't a valid game, right? But but you don't have to worry, like, do we put this in the game? 
do do we make let's make a, an analysis class where we put all our analysis functions or let's let's <laughs> let's make a new so it's it's not that these problems are completely eliminated you have to come up with namespace oh well how should we organize our namespaces you know and we we need to know what do these functions take does this function take a game board does it take a, a list of moves right so so you still need to know what information domain it's operating on and you can even use schemas or spec to help you canonize that, encode that in the domain in a, in a helpful way so people know. So it's not that it goes to zero, but, but it makes it much more clear. Oh, well, let's, let's organize our functions into some groupings over here based on how we like to use them or based on what kind of things they take and produce. Um, Versus just sort of this arbitrary, well, I don't know, Nate, should we add more things to the board or should I make a subclass of the board, you know, which mm-hmm. is like the analysis thing. And it, it, it gets, there's way more dimensions of potential organizational things. So therefore more things for you as a software development team to fight over because, you know, bike shedding is our second <laughs> most favorite activity only to programming. Yeah. Second to talking about closure. Well, and, and, and I think, I think one of the things that it's, it's so like, so to getting kind of like teasing about a part a little bit, like talking about the different, different kinds of behavior, you know, uh, all of the things we've been talking about have kind of been around, they've mostly been pure, you know, like making a play or, you know, um, is, did the, did someone win? Is the speculative move valid? That kind of stuff. But you also might want to have a way of writing that game state out, you know, saving it to, to a file system. And so then that even adds in another, like a dimension of things. It's not just what pure operations you can do on the data, but what side affecting operations. And so that I think makes it even harder to decide what would go on the board class and what doesn't go on the board class, but in closure or in a language that separates data from functions, you have a collection of functions that are pure that take the take take the game state and return a game state, you know, moves and analysis and that sort of thing. And you have other functions and other namespace that's like a DB namespace and it would let take a game state and write it to a file or something. You know, it's like p- pretty natural to add new dimensions of functions because they're separate. It's really easy because then each namespace becomes kind of like a uh, a domain of 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 concern rather than trying to decide which which object you have to put it on because that that's only only place you can put functions sorry the only place you can put functionality in an object oriented language is attaching it to objects so because it's free you're free to categorize it properly right and and then once you are putting things in those classes then sometimes those classes need information. So you want to write this thing out to a file. So the class right. needs to know about the file name, right? And so, so now you're like, well, should I make a file serializer? Like a, a tic-tac-toe file serializer class because I want to put the file name as a data member. And it's kind of weird to put the file name as a data member in the game board. So I want to use... Uh, composition or composite pattern, you know, in order to do that, and on and on, right? And then, of course, mm-hmm. Java makes me put these in separate files, and so now I got to find them, and and so so you end up with a lot of complexity, right? And so so back on the functional side, because of this basic fundamental choice of separating out the data and representing that data in a 
in sort of this normative way of maps and lists, right? Which it, which closure gives you some more nuance in that you can get sets versus maps versus vectors versus sequences or lists, you know, but representing it in this normative way. Um, and then, yeah, functions, you know, you gotta, you, so you don't have a lot to fight over in your bike shedding sessions. <laughs> uh, you, you can fight over our namespacing and how we want to organize that. And then, and then all that's left on the data side is, well, let's figure out what is a good way of representing these separate information domains and then organizing them. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and then it tends to just not change. It tends to be super stable, right? Once once you figure out how to represent a tic-tac-toe board, well, I mean, unless the game changes or you have some aha on on some kind of sophisticated computation that you want to <laughs> do, I don't know. You know, it's not going to change. It's simple. It just doesn't change. Three, 3D tic-tac-toe, that's it. it totally right. but then But then you're playing a different game, so... Yeah, it's one right. of the things I like is because you don't have these other things to talk about. So talking about which which object to put it in, you're not actually talking about your problem. You're talking about it's a it's a it's a, it's a problem that is introduced by use by the choice of, by the tool choice, not by the the domain of the problem. And so by those problems going away, most of the time spent in closure is spent thinking about your actual problem domain and discussing it, than actually trying to work around language uh limitations or language <laughs> right language imposed complexity let's just say it that way yeah yeah well 3d tic-tac-toe that's a great example so now it, it, in the functional domain the representation of a board itself well maybe you 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 have your 3d scenario where you have three boards right because you have a three by three square if you mm -hmm. had hung the game logic on the board class well now now class. what do you do yeah so now you got to subclass this into 3d board and then you got to override you know this because it, the game logic but then like you might want to use the logic for a single board sometimes so you're calling super and in the kind of the tangle of it right the tangle of mixing these together and and then let's say you you didn't do that. Well, then you could accidentally call board on you know, dot move on the board <laughs> reference and on the wrong one, right? And it, it it's a legal it's a legal move in two D space, but not a legal move in three D space, right? So so by <laughs> keeping it separate, yeah, obviously if you take two D logic and you you know you take one of the boards and throw it over the wall of the two D logic, it's going to do the wrong thing, right? But because they're separated you get this reuse. So you get this data composition and this behavioral composition as separate kinds of composition. Because they don't often happen the same way. It's interesting how that works. Right. And, and it kind of harkens back to our, the first episode in this series is, you know, are you working with ingredients or are you working with something like a box mix? Like object-oriented seems like a box mix. You know, things are already pre-made or you end up making box mixes. Maybe is that a better way of putting it? And so you, you, it's, it's harder to pivot when the product owner comes in and says, I need 3D, 3D tic-tac-toe. <laughs> yeah. This, this mixing 
of the two, this connecting, this linking of the two, the behavior and the data runs very deep. And then when you come in with a, a data change that the world forced you on, on you, your, your context, and boy, oh boy, the way you modeled the computation just really wasn't in line with that. Oh, man, mm-hmm. you know, the refactoring. And so it's not that this is zero in, but in, in functional programming, but it is a fundamentally simpler model. Mm-hmm. Right, connecting them is more complex, complected as back to where we started. Complected, as Rich Hickey would like to say, but keeping them separate is more literal to the world and simpler, and therefore works out really well in the long term. And it's more fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly a lot less stressful. Yeah, I have less things exploding. Right. Hmm. Well, uh, that was fun. That was a good composition, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this All right, composition then. joke is just going to keep going and going, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> just saying the same joke again and again. Is it still as funny? We'll let our audience decide. Uh, speaking of our audience, our beautiful, handsome listeners out there, um, let us know if you have any questions about composition or about something you'd like to, us to talk about. Um, we have a lot of things, things we, we in our in mind, but. Uh, we'd much rather talk about something that, uh, that that the community wants. So please let us know. Send us a tweet at ClojureDesign on x.com or an email to feedback at ClojureDesign.club. Uh, or our best, the best way to reach us is the ClojureDesign-podcast channel on the Clojurian Slack. So pop in there and compose a message to us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, compose. Compose. In fact, this discussion around data-orientedness came from some discussion that we were having they're uh, in the Twitter X verse. <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> whatever we're going to call it. But hop on over to closuredesign.club and you can get our show notes there. This episode has links to the past episodes that are related. You can see some of the best quotes from the episode if you want, uh, or just check out all the different series. At this point in time, we have a number of them. So just go to closuredesign.club for all that good, good stuff. Yep. All right. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.